People often ask, what do pastors do between Sundays? And uh, there you have it. So, um, hey, we're starting a brand new series called Chasing the Almighty. And I think it's really relevant and very important uh, for each of us and for this time uh, that we're living in. You've heard it over and over again on the news. You've, you've, you've seen it in your life and you've seen it uh, in the people around you. Times are tough. Uh, these are tough times. These are uncertain times. These are desperate times and devastating times for many. And, and no one seems uh, to be too sure or quite sure what will happen next, uh, what, what direction our economy will go. And economists say that we are in the midst of the worst financial crisis in 100 years. And the last few years ha- have been frightening. They've been unpredictable and devastating for, for many people, and not just people on the news, but, but even people here today. And you know this too well, and you know the impact that some of these uncertain financial times have had on your own home. Uh, At one point in the last 18 months, Reuters reported that at least $12.4 trillion in global stock market wealth evaporated. It just was gone. Now, how does wealth evaporate? I'll tell you how it does. We've got three little monkeys and a couple of trips to the grocery store every week just about makes every bit of, uh, of dollar that we have disappear. And those of you with teens right now are like, you just wait, you just wait. But seriously, how in the world does global wealth evaporate? I mean, did it just drift into space or something like that? How, how does it just disappear? But times are tough. Uh, we're living in some challenging financial times right now. Uh, what's ahead? Well, it depends on who you talk to. Uh, It depends on what opinion you receive. Some will tell you that, you know, we've gone through the roughest times and there are bright days ahead of us. Uh, Others will tell you that the most challenging times are yet to come. One economics professor says that the trends in world markets can be analyzed and understood in one of two words, that no matter the situation, no matter the trend that we see, uh, one of two conclusions can be made. And this professor summarizes that the markets are either driven by greed or they're driven by fear, uh, that something is always in the driver's seat. It's either greed or it's fear. And when the greed is in control, the upside potential outweighs the downward possibility for loss. And so people buy and they buy and they buy more and the markets gain and they go up. But when it's down, the possibility of loss is greater. It's greater than the potential gain and people are driven by fear. And so people sell to minimize their losses. Greed and fear. That's what I want to talk with you about this morning. These are the culprits. Uh, These are the culprits that drive the markets and they are the culprits that often drive our lives. One or the other is always in the driver's seat. Now, you don't need an economics or a degree in economics uh, to decide or to understand who's winning right now, uh, who's in the driver's seat of all this. Greed has been exposed, but fear is in control. Uh, Fear has absolute control right now. In fact, fear has taken uh, such a great toll on our economy that President Obama announced at the State of the Union address this past week that the Treasury Department's releasing a new $1 bill. I don't know if you've seen this yet or not. Uh, Just kind of sums up the times. Uh, But the uh, new $1 bill is set to come out soon. Um, Now, I'm not an economist, but I know that the same greed and the same fear that drives markets, uh, it drives you and me too. Uh, It can get a hold of us. It can shape us. It it can influence us in in so many different ways. Greed and fear, this thing works in in our homes. It works in our families. uh, And it often calls the shots. Let me prove it to you. I want to try something just a little different. Uh, I want you to take out your wallet right now. 
I know that probably everybody's got a wallet. Uh, uh, if you would, just go ahead, follow along with me. Nothing bad's going to happen here, I promise. Uh, just take out your wallet for just a moment. And while everybody, hold it in your hand. And, and while everybody else is getting it out, just you can go ahead and hug it or caress it or give it a kiss if you want to. Whatever you need to do to make yourselves feel comfortable. Todd, did you get your wallet out? All right, you got yours out. Now, here's what I want you to do. Um, I want you to find somebody next to you. And I know that the first services is always a little challenge. You might have to move around a little bit. But I want you to trade with someone, all right? So just trade trade your wallet with someone right now. Wow, I just got a big wad of cash right here. Um, now, don't go through it or anything or take anything out. Uh, the host team, would you please go back by the doors and guard the doors here for just a moment while we try this? Okay, so you've got someone else's wallet in your hand right now, and I just want you to hold it. I'm going to play kind of Howie Mandel here with you for just a moment. Um, would you keep it, or would you would you trade back? You know, now think about it. Just think about it. Maybe take a look at who, take a look at their clothes or whatever. You know, would you keep it? You know, feel the thickness of it. Would you keep it? Or, or would you trade it back? I mean, there could be a whole bunch of Subway coupons in there. Or they don't do that anymore. Or, you know, cash or credit cards or whatever. But would you keep it or would you give it back? You know, which do you want? Right now, I got an idea. Before we do that, let's, let's take another offering. And so just open up that uh, right now and take all the money out. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead and trade back before somebody has a heart attack here. Uh, nothing, again, nothing bad happening here, but greed and fear. All right. Greed and fear. That's what we're talking about this morning. Greed and fear. Now, greed is an ugly word, isn't it? Greed. It's making decisions with the prospect or the potential of having more. Uh, fear is anxiety. It's this fear that you will never have enough. It's this anxiety that there'll never be enough. And, and therefore what you have, you've got to protect it. You've got to hold on to it. You've got to accumulate more. You know, not only do greed and fear drive the New York Stock Exchange, but they drive people like me and you too. And so what I want to do this morning as we kick off this series, Chasing the Almighty, in light of these financial times, is to get the input of the smartest person uh, when it comes to a topic uh, like money. And I'm not talking about Warren Buffett or Alan Greenspan, but it's Jesus. The answer is always Jesus, people. So uh, take out your Bibles, if you would, and uh, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Go to the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 6. Uh, in Matthew 6, Jesus is giving a teaching on what we have come to know as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, why is it called that? Because he was preaching on a mountainside. It's really that simple. It was this teaching that he gave on the mountainside. But very practical, uh, life application stuff to a normal group of people, common people like you and me. And Jesus here in Matthew 6, uh, again, is talking to a bunch of normal people. And he speaks confidently about these two forces that drive us. These two forces that were driving people two years or 2,000 years ago that drive people today, that drive the world markets today. They mess with our hearts. Greed and fear. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Jesus says, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now hear this, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How true are those words, not only 2,000 years ago, but even today? You know, Jesus begins his financial teaching here by talking about what happens when your motivation and when my motivation is all about storing up treasures for yourself here on this earth. What's he really talking about here? He's talking about greed. 
All right, you could insert the word greed here. You know, it's how much can I get? What more can I do? How much more can I accumulate? You know, when we hear the word greed, you know, especially us as Christians, we tend to ignore it and think, well, Jesus certainly isn't talking about me. I'm not greedy. But let's continue. Verse 22, Jesus said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now you might be wondering what in the world the, uh, the word I has to do with finances here. Well, in Jewish thought, there was this understanding that there was this deep connection between the eye and the heart, especially in the Old Testament. The eye of the body was viewed as a window that would illuminate what the heart of a person truly treasured. And so the belief was that not only did the eye allow light in, but light shined out of it too, kind of like a flashlight. And the word evil here is not a Joseph Stalin kind of evil or anything, but in this context, the word evil might be better translated or we might better understand as the word envious. And envy is all about wanting more. And so Jesus says that if your eye is bad, if your eyes are bad, then your outlook will be envious. How much more can I get? What more can I accumulate? It it means that you are absolutely so concerned about consuming more, about getting more, about obtaining more or collecting more. And, And so greed doesn't have to mean this desire to get as much money as I can get. It's not so much of, you know, I blow my nose with $20 bills or something because I'm so stinking rich. No, I am greedy when I put my faith and I put my trust in what I can get and how much I can accumulate. That's greed. That somehow if I accumulate more, then I will be secure. Greed is this belief that the accumulation of stuff will ultimately yield happiness and purpose and so that's why we're calling this series chasing the almighty now money is often referred to as the almighty dollar but even if we say it tongue-in-cheek you know it's the truth isn't it Uh, it's about the almighty dollar everything is dictated purpose and you know even our current you know climate or attitude today as a country as a world it's all based on money it's all based on the almighty dollar. And whether we realize it or not, money can so easily take on these godlike powers that we so quickly turn and worship it. Uh, I've told you several stories lately about our trip to Haiti, a uh, team that returned from there just a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, amazing place, amazing stories. You know, it's easy to take a look at a place like Haiti and just see godlessness and darkness and, and people far from God and evil. And, and, it, and to a degree, you know, it, it's true. You know, I mean, uh, voodoo and black uh, black magic is very prevalent in, in a place like Haiti, and you can see it. And if you're if you're with someone who knows the culture, uh, if they know the signs, they can point out different symbols and things to you and say that's black magic or that's voodoo. Well, one night, uh, middle of the night, I had gone up, gotten up to to go to the restroom, and and so I was outside, and it's real dark outside and everything. And off in the woods, off in the bush, I, I just hear this chanting, this hey, 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 and uh, it, it kind of freaked me out a little bit, you know. And I, I quickly got back inside, you know, we got back into the dorm. But um, the next day, I, I was thinking about that a little bit. I was thinking about this voodoo and this black magic and these false gods and everything. And I just had this, this thought come over me that, you know what? We have so many more false gods in America, even than a place like Haiti. We just give them different names. 
We call them pleasure and happiness and stuff and money. And we bow to them all the time and we don't even realize that we're doing it. You know, even Jesus acknowledged these things like wealth and possessions, you know, that they always and will always rival God. They'll fight for your heart. You can't serve two masters, you remember? It's why Jesus spoke on this topic of money and of personal finances and of stewardship more than anything else. You can't serve both God and money. And the unfortunate reality is that most people will never completely know and understand the freedom that can be found when you are willing to trust God and put your faith in God and and chase the Almighty rather than chase the Almighty dollar. And, And some get this. You know, and some of you have discovered this and you've realized the freedom that is found in this. But I want you to know this morning, no matter where you're coming from on this subject or this topic, that you can trust God on this topic of money. That you can trust God on this topic of finances and of freedom. And I know, and what's most humbling to me is that I know that I can't say anything to you. I can't tell a story. We can't show a video to you that will change your mind on this subject. But, but I was praying this morning, I was down on my knees in my office even this morning praying this because I know that the Word of God can change that for you. And, and I believe with all of my heart that the Spirit of God can transform you in such a great way that you too can experience this freedom that can be found, you know, because some of you are trapped. Some of you are absolutely trapped by this concept of money and of getting more and of paying off this and, and if I can just, just do this and this and then get here, then I will trust God with my finances rather than say with all of your heart, I'm going to trust Him right now no matter the circumstances in spite of these circumstances that I face. And so I want to invite you over the next few weeks to give it a shot, to really believe in your heart that you can trust God on this subject of money, that you can pray this prayer, God, help me trust you. God, show me the way. Show me what that looks like. Show me these next steps. Because don't spend your life absolutely, completely consumed by greed or fear or chasing the almighty dollar. I want to invite you to surrender every bit of your life. Not just every part of your life except the money part, but every bit of your life to Jesus Christ, to chase God and the almighty. Back to the Matthew 6, verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? I mean, can you imagine Jesus sitting on this mountainside pointing to objects here as he's teaching? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For even the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Verse 33. Let's read this together, every one of us. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And and so Jesus here, he shifts from talking about greed to now talking about worry. He's talking about fear. And, And I don't know if you saw how many times you can go back through on your own and count that Jesus used the word worry. You know, Jesus warns about the danger of living in fear. 
Uh, he warns about the danger of worrying about today and tomorrow. Basically, he's saying it's a waste of time. And have you ever really thought about that? I mean, I, I'm a worrier. I'll tell you right now, I'm a worrier. I'm so guilty of worry and how pointless it is to worry. It, it does absolutely nothing for us. It robs us of time. It robs us of life. It doesn't accomplish anything. I mean, it robs us of life instead of adding to our lives. Worry, it, it makes no sense. But notice what Jesus calls those who go through life like this, worrying all the time. He calls us pagans. Now, I used to think a pagan was somebody who painted their face and danced around a fire with a spear in their hand or something, but that's not the case. A pagan is anyone who lives as if there is no God. It's people who live as if there is no God. You know. Now, notice, it's not necessarily always someone who doesn't believe there is a God. It's just someone who lives in such a way that they don't acknowledge or they live like there isn't a God. You know, ever been guilty of that? I mean, when you're faced with a challenge, you're faced with a difficult circumstance, a crisis comes up in your life or something, and you just start worrying, and we fail to turn to God. You know, we fail to live like there is a God. I'm, I'm guilty of that. Well, what do pagans do? You know, they live as if there is no God. They chase money, and they chase stuff. They chase the almighty dollar. They give themselves over to fear. Now, hear this. Jesus didn't give us this warning here because he wants us to secretly take a vow of poverty or to go about living like monks or something like that. No, Jesus said what he said about money because he knew how vulnerable you and I are to this, this topic, this issue of greed and of fear. And, and I can't think of a time in my life where greed and fear were more evident than they are today. I mean, we're witnessing the crippling effects of greed and fear. And Jesus' conclusion is that one way or another, you will end up chasing the almighty dollar or you'll chase God. But while we're there, what is it for you right now? I mean, if you were just to be absolutely, completely honest with yourself and with your life right now, are you chasing God or are you chasing the almighty dollar? I'm willing to bet that one of those two things gets priority in your life. But which is it for you? Are you chasing God or are you chasing the almighty dollar? You know, the bitter reality is that you can't run in two different directions at the same time. You can only choose to run to one. You can only choose one. You can't serve both God and money. And so I ask you this question this morning. Do you want to spend the rest of your life chasing money or do you want to spend the rest of your life here on this earth chasing God? I mean, it's up to you. It's what you really want. Now, I realize that some of you by now have tuned me out and some of you probably came today remembering we were going to talk about money and so you came with this big shield up around you of I will only take whatever I want to take in and I'll let everything else just kind of bounce off and go in the other direction. And you do it every time we talk about money. I just know that our defenses go up. I also know that some of you are here this morning, though, and you desperately want to be different. You want to get to a place in your life where you know and you acknowledge that you trust God for everything, first and foremost, before anything. You want a different approach to money, and, and you don't want to be ruled by fear, and you don't want to be ruled by greed. You want God, and you want more of Him. And so for those of you that are at that place this morning where you want a new direction, or you want to continue in this direction of chasing the Almighty God, I want to give you just a, a few steps, a few places where I think you're going to need to start today as we continue in this discussion. Uh, and you're going to have to work hard uh, to break down some myths in your life when it comes to this topic of, of obedience and when it comes to this topic of trusting God and, and, and needing to embrace and, and to uh, believe in these things. You ever, any, anybody ever seen the show Mythbusters before? All right. Plenty of people around the room have seen Mythbusters. Well, we're going to bust some myths uh, before we wrap up this morning, some myths around money. If you're taking notes, you can write these down uh, as we move through these quickly. In order to chase God, myth number one is um, money can make me happy. Uh, we've got to bust this myth 
uh, that money can make me happy. You know, the first, first myth that we need to go after is this one. Now, you've heard the phrase, money can't buy happiness, right? Uh, we've all heard that before. We know it's not true. But I like what someone once said, money can't buy happiness, but it can rent it for a while. All right, and there might be some truth in that, that it can rent it for a while. But I think that deep down, most of us have this belief that if I were able to make 10000 more or $20,000 more a year or have just this little bit more in my savings account or in my mutual funds, then I would relax, then I could finally truly and absolutely be happy, that somehow money can lead to my happiness. And so we become consumed with consuming or receiving or collecting or accumulating, and it's encouraged. I mean, it's encouraged all throughout our culture, all across the TV. Here's a good example of what our culture teaches us about money and about happiness. Isn't it great to know that out there there's a credit card that's committed to your personal happiness, huh? How how many of you believe that? How many of you believe that there's a credit card that is absolutely, completely committed to your personal happiness as a consumer? All right, we don't believe that, but you see, we're bombarded all the time with this myth that money can make us happy, you know, and in our present challenges, this myth is is magnified even more so, and that's why we need to talk about important subjects like these relevant subjects like money. Look look at these words from Jesus in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. Paul wrote these words, but they're given to us by God. Verse 9, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, which I think we could insert the word greed there, eager for money, have, what have they done? They have wandered from their faith. And where do they wander to? Where does that path lead? And pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, you might say, you know, I don't want to be rich. Okay, that's not my goal, but I just want to be comfortable. I want to arrive to this place where I can feel good about, uh, you know, paying all of my bills. But somewhere in that, money is nearby whispering, chase me. See, it's that whole comfort thing. It's that whole greed thing. It's that whole desire. I I don't want to be afraid anymore. And so if I can accumulate this and that, that, I'll be in a better place. But Jesus said you can only choose one. You can only serve one master. You can't serve both God and money. You can't go two directions at the very same time. Now, Jesus isn't saying that money is always evil or that it's evil in and of itself because we all know that the money is there to help provide for needs and it's helped there to provide for fun and, and for good. We all know that it can. But Jesus says, Jesus knows that when we chase money with this belief that it will ultimately deliver security and happiness, then we are placing greed and fear in the driver's seat. And when either one is in control, we'll never be satisfied. You know, this eagerness for money, this trust in money, this faith in money, it causes us to wonder, wander here, as said in 1 Timothy. And when you chase money, when you become so consumed that even as a Christian in this desire to chase money, that as the scripture says that you'll have this tendency to wander away. And where does this wandering lead to? It leads to a place of many griefs. If we're going to chase God, there's another myth that needs busting in our life, and it's this myth that money can make me secure. That money can somehow lead to my security as a person, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 again says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, I always think it's a little weird to come into this building on Sunday mornings, and most mornings... Uh, a couple of us will arrive here around 5.30, 5.45. It's really dark in this building. And, and when you know that it's sat empty for a couple of days, I'll be honest, when I come in here by myself, I'm a little nervous. And so when I walk in, 
I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you something right out. If anybody ever jumps out at me, I'm going to take a swing, all right? And and maybe that's not right as a pastor, uh, and maybe I'll just seek compassion and forgiveness later, but if somebody jumps out, I will take a swing. I don't know karate, but I will come up with some kind of move, all right? Now, I don't find a lot of security in my physical abilities, all right, that I would accomplish anything, maybe just make things worse uh, in a moment like that, but but I tend to go seeking some security uh, in, in something like that. Um, Jesus warns us that we will never find our security in finances. You know, whatever we think can make us safe and secure, you know, whether that be a certain amount in the bank or a certain paycheck, we are always, always, always vulnerable to the circumstances of life. Things that we don't see coming, things beyond our control. And before you know it, everything that you've ever accumulated one day, it can be gone. I mean, think about it. $12.4 trillion evaporated. And not just because of guys like Bernie Madoff, it's because of the forces of greed, and the forces of fear. And so when Jesus says things like store up treasures in heaven and seek first his kingdom, he is reminding us that there is only one thing worth chasing in this world. That there is a kingdom that never changes. And you may religiously follow the the ticker of the Dow Jones Industrial Average each day, but if there was a ticker that tracked the character and competence of God, it would read God's character forever unchanged. God's mercy forever unchanged. God's patience with us, unchanged. God's moral compass, unchanged. God's love and His concern for you, forever, always, unchanged. You know, the markets will will rise and fall in this world, and you might lose everything, but nothing in heaven ever changes. God is always the same. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is still sovereign. He is still at the right hand of God. The Bible says that He is our rock, and He is our redeemer, that He is our anchor, when we need a firm foundation, that he is the light that guides us when we have no, excuse me, nowhere to go. And best of all, uh, the kingdom of God will never need a bailout. Now, this last myth is challenging. This third myth that I want to leave you with today, uh, and this is where we'll kind of wrap up. And this is the big one. Uh, it's the one that most of us need the work uh, of overcoming in our life. And for many of you, uh, it's a starting point or it's a continuing on in your journey. Again, it's challenging, but I think it's absolutely critical for those of us who are committed to trusting God, chasing God. And it's the myth that it's my money. It's this myth that we buy into that even as followers of Jesus Christ, it's my money. You know, this is, this is challenge for every one of us. We all know the favorite words of any two-year-old. Uh, They've got two of them, no and mine. And uh, it'll drive you crazy as a parent for your little two-year-old to look you right in the eyes and say no or to say mine. Can you believe that that our two-year-olds do that to us? They do. And maybe even our 15-year-olds. But we do it with God every day. Psalm chapter 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Haggai chapter 2, verse 8 says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. And this isn't just some prophet who's looking to cash in on people's wealth. No, who says it? Declares the Lord Almighty. You know, God is the only one who can say, mine. And he is not being greedy in this. He's just saying it as it is. Now, what would happen in your life if you were able to come to this place where you were able to say, you know what, it all belongs to God? I mean, what if you could really get there? 
where you could say, I trust God so much that I'm able to acknowledge with my life and demonstrate it in my actions that it all belongs to God. I mean, what would that life look like? Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul writes, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. Now, notice he doesn't say, I trust God when he gives things to me. Or I trust God when my life is comfortable and so I never need a thing. No, he says, I know both extremes. I know what it means to be in need and I know what it means to have everything that I need. But the secret that I have found, the secret to finding a a, a more purposeful life is this life of contentment in every situation. You know, following Jesus is what we're working to do here at Genesis Church. That's my prayer for you, that we will be committed to following Jesus in all that we do. And it isn't a commitment to be at church every week. It's not a commitment to put something in the offering bag when it's passed by. These may be expressions. But following Jesus is about knowing him and trusting him with every aspect and every minute detail of your life. Now, it's easy to be skeptical or dismissive of a subject like this, this topic of money, especially if it applies to you, especially if this is where your greatest defense mechanisms come up. But the one way to get off this roller coaster of greed and this roller coaster of fear in your life and finding commitment is to embrace the truth that God is the owner and sustainer of all things. And you and I, when it comes to our possessions, when it comes to our wealth, we're simply the managers. Now, let me remind you also of this. You know, Jesus, as he spoke these words here on this hillside, talking to a great group of people in Matthew chapter 6, notice the one thing that we don't find is he didn't take an offering up when it was over. And a lot of you like to think that we only talk about money because it's about, well, what else can we, we get for God or what else can this church accumulate? And that's somehow the underlying hidden message of all of this. But God is after something else. And my desire for you is something more. That God wants your heart. And not just 75% of it or not just 80% of it, but he wants 100% of your heart. And if money is your treasure, you'll live a life consumed by greed and you'll live a life consumed by fear. But we don't own money. We just manage it. You know, God has given me money. He's given me possessions in my life, you know, to leverage uh, for his work uh, through this church and in this world to help people find their way back to God. And when you move from this perspective of ownership to management in your life, then you too, you will begin this process of being less consumed by greed and less consumed by fear. And your desire to chase the Almighty God will become a greater passion in your life. What would your life look like if you trusted God above all things? Just try and imagine what it would look like if you were absolutely committed to chasing God in every detail of your life. How could that change you? How could that change your family? Change this church? What could Genesis Church do for this community and for this world? Let's pray.